to the Destiny Church 217 podcast. Today we're hearing from Pastor Ivan Tate. He and his wife Kimberly are the founders of What Matters Ministries and Missions. In this message, Pastor Ivan continues in his teaching about pursuing the encounter life. After his time teaching, Pastor Ivan enters a time of prophetic ministry. Following the message, take a look at the episode description for links to What Matters Ministries and Missions website, where you can learn how to support the children and widows they minister to in Guatemala and Kenya. Let's get into the message. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for coming out on this Christmas Eve. Okay. (laughs) We'll go into the book of Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. We are continuing on our uh, ministry to you on the importance of having a life that is full of encounters, and I cannot go over all of this morning, so those of you that were not here, if you would simply order the tape, I believe the church did tape that, and so you can, it's on the podcast, you could go back and listen to part one, as that is the foundation of everything that we're doing, and it's really important for you to understand why encounters are necessary for you to have as a Christian, and the most important basic rule of encounters is that that is the normal Christian life. Encounters is normal for a person that is following the Lord with their whole heart. It is not normal not to have encounters with God daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, And this is why it is so possible for people to be in church for long periods of time and be living a life of hypocrisy or betrayal or a life of carnality, a life of cruelty to someone, a life of unforgiveness, a life of boredom, a life of worldly entanglements, worldliness, a life that has the personality traits of the kingdom of Satan. So begin to, to, to realize this, everybody, that there are two kingdoms, you know, God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, and they are each built on something. They each have a king, and they each have traits. And the way you can know which kingdom you're operating under is by these traits. Uh, For example, the kingdom of God is love. The kingdom of Satan is hate. The kingdom of God is purity. The kingdom of Satan is uncleanness. The kingdom of God is faith. The kingdom of Satan is unbelief and doubt. The kingdom of God is unity, and the kingdom of Satan is division and strife and contention. The kingdom of God is kindness, and the kingdom of Satan is hard-heartedness and anger and rage. The kingdom of God is peace. 
Satan's kingdom is chaos and confusion. The kingdom of God is healing language. Healing language. Language that heals people. The kingdom of Satan is cussing, complaining, fault-finding, violent language, threats, blackmail. These separate so that you know which side are you actually partnering with. Because if you're trying to be a Christian, but partnering with Satan's kingdom, well, you can understand how difficult that would be. Because God cannot bless Satan's kingdom in you. He can only bless himself in you. If you don't have God, he cannot bless you. So you make partnerships with God. Or you make partnerships with Satan. Some people don't even know they're in partnership with Satan. But that's why they can't have encounters with God. And those encounters will define you. Uh, for me, uh, 17 years old, following a, a young lady home, and uh, when I approached her, she gave me a Bible. I didn't know it was a Bible. I was raised by my mother to not read the Bible. She actually told me as a young child, don't ever read the Bible because if you read the Bible, you will go crazy. She said, you will grow your hair long. You will wear blue jeans with holes in them. You will walk around barefooted. You will get a guitar and play that guitar. And then you will walk down the street talking to the little green people. So anytime we would be driving and there would be a person like that walking down the street talking to the air, to whatever, she would say, they read the Bible. <laughs> she sincerely believed this. As she said, the only people that can read a Bible are priests. Priests will tell us what's in the Bible, but you can't ever read it. You go crazy. So I was very terrified of the Bible. And my mother had a little Bible, which she kept in a locked drawer, the Bible itself was locked. It had a lock on it. And she would take that every Sunday morning and hold it through mass and everything. And I would sit there next to her so angry and so afraid that I would tell her, why do you have that book with you? If it touches me, I could go crazy. Why do you have it? Throw it away. Now, this is not normal. People that go to a Catholic church like I did, they don't do this. She did it because she was very superstitious and had faith in her superstitions, that being one of them. Well, 
this young lady hands me a book, no cover, ripped and torn, and written all over. So, of course, I never suspected that it was a Bible. Yet I was searching for something, and, of course, I thought this next girl was it. As any red-blooded American boy would. So she uh, said, here, if you want to talk to me, go read this under a tree. And when you're done, then I'll talk to you. I said, you will talk to me? You will talk to me when I'm done? I'll read this book. I'll go read it right now. <laughs> and I went and sat it underneath a mesquite tree in Texas. And um, it opened up by itself. I, you know, going through the, and it opened up. 1 Corinthians 13, I didn't even know what it was because it wasn't fully written and it was just marked out. But when I was started reading the words, I felt something happening. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but it was in modern language. By verse 5, I was crying so uncontrollably and I realized at that moment that something is happening that I can't control, and all I could feel was love. I just felt like waves of love. And I felt like breaths, like you would breathe on your hand, like that, coming out of me, like out of my mouth. I didn't know what it was. It didn't hurt me, and it didn't scare me, but I could feel like things coming like that like brushing my face. And as I was weeping, I could just feel. And the hatred I had for my father, I couldn't feel it. I literally could not feel the hatred. And then all the other people I hated, all of that hate just started disappearing. And this went on for three hours or more. And at the end of it, I just felt this amazing, beautiful peace. And I went home with this book and just started devouring it. The next day I went, to, or the next whatever, uh, I went to school. And I was sitting in class, chemistry class. I had, had that book sitting there. And the chemistry teacher was a Christian. And he knew what the book was. And he passed by and he did a double take. And he said, what, what, what is this? I said, oh, uh, so-and-so gave me this book, and it has magic. That's what I said. I said, this book has magic. He said, do you know what this book is? I said, no, but it's got magic. He said, that is the Bible, and I started screaming. <laughs> That's the only thing I can explain. I just, like that. And all of a sudden, I realized my mother is wrong. Because remember this, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the most dangerous person in the world is a good person with bad beliefs. I had an encounter with the love of God, and I changed. I cut a man's yard to make $20 so I could buy a big family size one. 
because I had seen one in a store thing, and it said 1995. And I cut this Jewish man's yard. He didn't know he was giving me $20 to buy a Bible that would change my life forever. I came back later with a big Bible, and I showed it to him. And he said, did I pay for that? I said, yeah, you paid for it. He said, well, I hope you find something in there. I said, yeah, it's got magic. <laughs> so I was an athlete in school, football, baseball, basketball, track. I was really good. Sorry. Uh, had many scholarships and things like that offered to me. But, but when, I, when I went home and told my mother, I am not going to go to college because I have found God underneath this tree. And she said to me, son, God does not live in trees. Monkeys live in trees. That's what you get for reading the Bible. And then I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in front of her. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I was in my room trying to get self-baptized because I had read a book that I picked up at a malt shop. And I was on my knees in my bedroom trying to... And then it, it said they laid hands on him, so I... I was very simple-minded. And she rushed over. She opened the door like that. And when she did, it startled me, and I just went, cortoba, like that. And she screamed and freaked out and ran out of the house to my brother who lived next door and said, he's speaking in other languages. He's lost his mind. And then I got a guitar. And then I let my hair grow long. <laughs> and then I let holes get in my blue jeans. And then I started singing everywhere. For three years, my mama would not talk to me. And I came home one day. Because what she would let me do is hug her. She would let me hold her and cry on her. Sometimes I would just cry on her. I'd just, just cry uncontrollably. And she'd just stand there, wouldn't say anything. And then I came to visit her. This three years passed. And she came out and she said to me, tell me about him. Tell me about him. I said, Mom, tell you about who? She said, the last time that you hugged me, the last time that you hugged me, I slept for three days. I had the peace come on me, and I've got to have what you have. And I got to pray with my mother there. She got saved, and then... Like dominoes, my family members. You, 
if you have an encounter with God, it's not just going to stay with you. It's going to go on and on and on. God doesn't just touch one person. He goes and touches the rest of your family. So having an encounter with God, especially regular ones, it's going to be a very important part of your life because if you don't, there are pieces of your old flesh and your old man that you will never get delivered from. You'll never get delivered from. You're going to have to meet God. Some of you are just crazy. And if God doesn't touch you, you're going to stay crazy. Some of you are bound up. And if God doesn't deliver you from the demons that are in your life, you're going to stay bound up. Some of your marriages are in trouble. And if you don't have an encounter with God as a couple, your marriage is not going to get better by itself. You could be on drugs right now. And if you don't encounter God, you may die on drugs like people die every day. So, it's really important to have encounters with the Lord. So, let's go through as many as we can get through. I think some man threatened me on the way in, and he said, you know, you need to, you need to finish that list for me. <laughs> I mean, he meant it's not threat. I meant in a loving way. He said, please, please finish. I'm going to try. So number three is found in Acts 9, 1 through 7. And this is Paul who is killing Christians. Paul is killing Christians. That's what he's doing. And he thinks that God is telling him to do it. He thinks God is telling him to kill Christians. So he's not doing it against God. He's not doing it against God. He thinks he's doing it for God. And he's riding his mule or his horse and light comes out of heaven and knocks him off the horse. And when he gets knocked off the horse, all of a sudden he realizes because a voice comes out of heaven and says, I'm Jesus and it's me that you're persecuting. It's me that you're persecuting. Jesus. This is what I call an illumination encounter. Because brothers and sisters and members of the jury 
If the scales do not fall off your eyes about some areas where you are blind, you are never going to change. Blindness, spiritual blindness, personality blindness, behavioral blindness, attitude blindness, the way you live your life blindness, what you're doing to yourself in your body with your appetites and with your uh, diet and things like that, blindness, and many other types of blindness, they will take you to the grave before your time. It is like a methamphetamine addict who is taking meth, and that person takes meth, they, they get him off the street. They take him to rehab. They keep him in rehab till he's totally off meth, completely clean, 100%. is having no withdrawals anymore. And he gets out, and the first thing he does is he finds his dealer, and he gets more methamphetamines and gets right back on those methamphetamines until one day you look at that person and they weigh 75 pounds and a machine is having to breathe for them. And while they're on the machine, they're trying to get meth. Because sometimes you're so blind that you cannot see how you are destroying your own life. Everybody else can see it. But you can't. And the way you have an encounter of illumination is that you embrace the light when God gives it to you. You put your arms around the light, the truth, and you say, even though I don't like this truth, I'm going to embrace it. Even though I don't want this truth, I'm going to embrace it. Even though I, I don't like what this truth is making me feel like, I am going to embrace it. Because your darkness will not flee until you embrace the light that heals the darkness you are in. There is a light for every darkness. Once I was blind, for example, you may be a diabetic, and if you're a diabetic, and the doctor tells you what eating sugar is going to do to you, and you still do it. This is a form of suicide because you are blinded thinking you can get out of it. I lost a pastor friend of mine who was a severe diabetic and he had gotten completely delivered from diabetes by a very famous minister who took him into his house and said, you're not leaving my house till you're totally healed and kept him there for six months fed him, assigned a doctor to him, and he was completely free. He left and started eating Twinkies again. When I saw him, he was on a cane 
and Twinkies were sticking out of his pocket. And in two weeks, he was dead. When you are blind, you will commit self-destructive acts. Somebody cusses you out on the highway, your reaction is to cuss them out. They throw the finger, you throw the finger, they pull over, you pull over. This is the behavior of blind people. Godly people pray for them as they go by. Hallelujah. Turn to someone next to you and say, I need $100. I don't know what he's talking about, but I need some money. I just need you to give me some money. I ain't getting nothing out of this. Hallelujah. Go ahead and give someone a high five, and let's take a praise break. Just start praising God. Tell all the devils to get out of town. Tell them right now. Say, I want all the blindness out of my life. Everything that's hurting me that I'm blind to, I want it out of my life. Say it out loud. Everything that is deceiving me, I want it out of my life. Everything that is lying to me, every lie that I'm believing, I want it out of my life. <coughs> Hallelujah. Number four. John 4, 13 through 26. This is the woman at the well. This is what happened. The woman at the well came to draw water. Jesus was waiting. Jesus said, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, that's right. You've had five. And the one you have now, you, you're not even married to. You're just living with him. And she says, you must be a prophet. You must be a prophet. Think about it. And ask yourself this question. How many women do you know that would marry five men? Think about it. Five men. One, that's understandable. Two, that's understandable. But when you start going into three and four and five, that's a whole different enchilada. Praise God. That's a whole different kind of problem when you are literally marrying. In other words, you have put your confidence in getting married because this woman was searching for something. What was this woman searching for? but happiness. And she thought she could find it in a man. And this is what I call a happiness encounter. You are going to someday have to have an encounter where Jesus Christ is enough. 
Someday you've got to decide that your husband doesn't have the power to make you unhappy. No matter what he's like or what he does or what he doesn't do. Someday you've got to decide that your wife is not the source of your happiness. Because until you find the real giver of happiness, because she didn't get her happiness till she found Jesus. Once she found Jesus, then she was happy. Because God never gave you your husband to make you happy. This is a deception of Hollywood. God did not give you your wife to make you happy. Huh? What? You've just been raised by Hollywood. The purpose of a husband or of a wife is not to make you happy. That's God's job. You can't put on a husband the responsibility to be everything you need. Jesus will not allow it. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. It's not his job. It's not your wife's job to make you happy. If you're not happy with Jesus, you ain't going to be happy with one husband or two husbands or three husbands or four husbands or five husbands. They're all messed up. Why are you trying to get happiness out of morons? Women are not happy by themselves. There's no woman that is automatically happy just with herself because the Bible says the curse that came on a woman was her desire would be towards the man. That's how it's written. But when you study it out, it actually says the curse on a woman is she'll never be happy until a man approves of her. That's a curse, not a blessing. It's a curse for you to want to get happiness from your husband's approval. Oh, oh, what do you mean? I say it again. A happiness encounters when Jesus is enough. And why is it necessary? Because only then can you truly love your husband and can you truly love your wife unconditionally. When you're already happy, then you can give happiness to that man that can never make you happy until he gets happy with Jesus. When he gets happy with Jesus and you get happy with Jesus, well, it's just a big old party of happiness for everybody. At some point, you've got to stop searching. At some point, you've got to stop searching. Well, this one's not good. I'm turning them in. I want a better, more youthful model. No. You have to, to, to have a happiness encounter, you've got to be drinking the living water 24 hours around the clock. You've got to drink the living water and your thirst goes away. Then you don't need the approval of your husband. You just need God's approval. You don't need the approval of your wife. You just need God's approval. 
And when you have his approval, obviously you'll have the approval of any Christian person you're married to. If they're a demon, they're not going to give you their approval. But if they're a, a normal person that loves God and you're pleasing God by the way you treat them, well, there's no way they're going to hate you for treating them the way Jesus would treat them. But you're only doing that because you're already fulfilled. And then you'll never say those cursed words, I deserve to be happy. So I'm leaving you for Roger or Bob or Harry or Larry or Mary. You'll never have to say that because Jesus has to be enough. Raise your hands, everybody, and worship Jesus and bless his holy name and say, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord. And that doesn't take away from marriage. That only makes marriage richer. Because as soon as you stop expecting things from that person that they don't have the power to give you, the sooner you will stop being offended at that person's inability to make you happy. And you can just accept them. Say, hey, I love you. You're all screwed up, but we're going to work on that. Isn't that right? Because most men have to be re-raised. The wife has to re-raise her husband. Hi, we're married. I noticed that uh, you didn't flush the toilet. We're going to have to work on that. Oh, last night I almost drowned because, you know, the lid up. We got to put that lid down. Oh, today I sat on the lid all wet. We need to work on that. I've washed your clothes now for a month, and I have not found one pair of underwear. Which tells me that you're wearing the same pair of underwear for one entire month. Are you on the one underwear plan? Wear them till they fall off? Because in this house, we can't do that. Oh, I noticed that you gassed up the whole house. The whole entire house is full of gas. Well, we're not going to do it that way. When you have gas, you're going to announce it to the family. Hello, family. I have gas. I ate some enchiladas. Obviously, the beans had not been properly soaked. I now have raging gas. I will not be sleeping in the bed. And I will be standing at the door watching TV this way. The gas will go out. My love will go in. You're being re-raised. And if you're stubborn, you don't let truth raise you. And the husband may have to do the same thing with his wife. Uh-huh. 
Oh, I noticed you got offended at me today. Why did you get offended at me? Because I saw what you did. What did I do? Don't act like you don't know. I don't know. You left your sock in the middle of the living room. Don't you know I know what that means? That means you're trying to drive me crazy because you hate me. I'm sorry, but I actually didn't take my sock off in the living room. Your dog got it out of my shoe and brought it and left it there. It's your dog that hates you. Because as you know, women interpret things symbolically. They're not like a man. A man sees a thing, and it's all over. That's what it is. That's why men get along. Put five men in a car. They all have gas. <laughs> Nobody gets offended and wants a divorce. They just say, you're killing me, dude. Roll the window down. And they drive the five hours with the windows down. <laughs> laughing about it. Put a woman in the car. Divorces are flying. People are holding everything. It's just the most uncomfortable situation because a human being has entered the car. That's why God told the women of Israel to go get the silver and gold and jewelry from the Egyptian women. He didn't tell the men. Why? Have you ever asked your husband to go find something? <laughs> A woman will be in the kitchen doing her thing with other women, and she'll, and she'll say these words to the man. Hey, go get my purse. It's upstairs on the bed. That's what she said. That's what the man heard. He didn't hear like a woman hears. He heard like a man hears. It's on the bed. So he goes upstairs, he looks on the bed, and he starts laughing. She's crazy. It's not on the bed. And like the dumb man that he is, he goes back. <laughs> and says, it's not on the bed. You're crazy. Had the woman told another woman, the woman wouldn't have said, it's on the bed. She would have known what that means in womanese. <laughs> that means that my purse is about a 50-mile radius from that bed, <laughs> begin at the bed. And the woman would have known, do not come down without that purse. Happiness. Jesus has to be enough. Our other lords and other saviors are going to come into your life. Other lords and other saviors are going to come into your life. You're going to get them from the world that does not know God, love God, serve God, 
or believe in God. Hallelujah. Let's go to number five. This is John 5, 9 through 11. I'm going to only be able to give you this one and one more. I'm so sorry, but that's how the cookie is crumbling. So this is the pool of Bethesda. A man was sick for 38 years. He was waiting to be healed. Jesus comes by and says to the man, what do you want me to do? And the man does not answer him right away. He starts to tell him what the problems are. He says, hey, I've been waiting here for 38 years to try to get healed. An angel comes, messes with the water, and people get in, in, in front of me, and nobody helps me. Jesus didn't bother with any of it. He just says, what do you want me to do? I want to be healed. And then Jesus tells him what to do. Rise and walk. This is what I call a health encounter. At some point of your life, you have got to start treating yourself in a way that makes you healthy physically. Turn to two or three people and say, you really need that. And the way you have a health encounter with God is by following the prescription that he gives you to be healthy. God is going to tell you what to do. And at that point, you're going to need to do it in order for you to be healthy. You can have an encounter with God by simply following the prescription of your health that he gives you. And God will start giving you this prescription. It'll be very clear. He'll tell you what to eat. He'll tell you how to work out. He'll tell you what to watch, what to not watch, what to read, what to not read. All of these things will begin to happen. They happen to each one of us. And if you don't obey it, then you get sicker and sicker and sicker, not just physically, emotionally, mentally, and in many other ways. If you don't have a health encounter, then you're going to go to heaven before your time. And you will not be functional during your time here on earth. You will not be able to do what God has assigned and called you to do. Hallelujah. No one is sicker than Americans. It is the sickest nation on the face of the earth. Very, very sick. Now, if you look at the new triangle of food, the food thing, at the beginning of that is Kellogg's because of who's buying them and who's paying them and who's telling you what to eat. And all it is doing is making you die. 
sugar is the number one recommended thing. And you have got to be out of your mind. Hala, hala, hala. Raise your hands, everybody, and say, pass me some seaweed. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you you're going to go on that journey on your own as to what God is going to tell you to do to be healthy and live a long life. Praise God. Let's go to number six. Luke 7, 37 through 45. This will be my last one. This is the woman with the alabaster box. Turn to a couple of people and say, oh. The woman is called a sinner. If you read into, read it, it's a prostitute. So this is a woman that sold her body to, to strange men and made money from that. Men she didn't even know. And it's very likely that she could have begun this as a young child. That was not untypical. So let's say that as a young child, she was being sold. If you go to India, for example, or Thailand, if you go to India, you will be driving down almost any street. And outside of the doors of the street, there is a small mattress in the front. You may also see men with young little children having sex with them right there in the open. As those mattresses are the parents telling people, I have a child for sale. Many countries promote pedophile behavior. Last year and the year before, Hawaii was trying to pass a pedophile protection law. Look it up yourself and fact check me. Understand what I'm saying when I say we are in war. Because once they start going after your children, and once the pedophiles start going after your children, once the pedophiles get in authority and power and in places of authority, then they'll start reducing the consequences of pedophilia to nothing. And they'll just call it a different type of love. Because that's what they called it. This woman was a prostitute. Now, you may not know anything about prostitutes, or you may know a lot. I was raised with prostitutes. And when I say with them, I was a shoeshine boy, and I would shine the shoes of the prostitutes at my grandmother's restaurant. There was a bench, two benches outside. 
And right next door was a two-story house of prostitution. My grandmother had a restaurant, Red Light District. I started working there at six years old, washing dishes and shining shoes. So the prostitutes would come. They would sit there, and I would shine their shoes. They only really had two colors, black and red. Now, these prostitutes are street prostitutes. So these prostitutes are not high-end, high-class women that you pay $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 for who do not have diseases because they are checked by doctors. These women have diseases because anyone can use them for 2 or $3. So the men that come are vile men who have contracted diseases and give the diseases to these women so they don't live very long because they start going insane from gonorrhea and things like that. Street prostitutes are not the same as some, you know, Las Vegas, Las Vegas thing. This is as low as you can treat a human being. And she was a prostitute. But listen, somewhere she had to have heard about Jesus to come to him that boldly. Someone had to tell her, this rabbi, he's not like the other ones. If you touch one of those, you make everybody unclean and they got, they got to separate. But Jesus hugs prostitutes. He hugged Mary Magdalene, who used to work here with us, just making it up, used to hug. He hugged her and demons came out of her. Now she's part of the group. And everybody knows. She had seven demons cast out of her. And she's part of his, his uh, team. So this woman knew this man, he's not like the other preachers. He eats with sinners and publicans. And he spends time with lost people. Oh, by the way, he hugs lepers. And their leprosy goes away when he touches them. So this woman, before she ever got to Jesus, already knew what she was probably going to get from Jesus. And the one thing she knew she would get from him is forgiveness. She brought everything she had earned, which was one year's salary in that alabaster box, and broke it at his feet, began weeping and crying. Did Jesus rebuke her? And say, you whore, you prostitute, you evil, unclean thing, get away from me. No, she's kissing his feet. She's weeping on his feet. She's using her hair to clean his feet. The others are all freaking out. Doesn't this guy know who this woman is? She's a prostitute. Why is he letting her touch him? Jesus explained it very simple. He that is forgiven much, loveth much. What I'm saying to you is the woman already knew she was forgiven or she wouldn't have been loving to that degree. The minute she saw Jesus, I believe in my heart of hearts that her guilt left her and she became a new person. This is a love encounter 
And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you will not be worth very much to God in the sense of service. Your value to God is not established by how you behave. Because the Bible says that God loved you before you were born. So God's love is unconditional. You don't earn that. And what you're worth is unconditional to God. You don't earn that. But what your value in function is, that's a different story. You're worth whatever God was willing to pay. The Mona Lisa is priceless because stupid people have said that the Mona Lisa is priceless. I'm so sorry. I would not have that picture in my house to look at all day long. A picture of one of my children, a picture of my wife, or a picture of my grandchildren. Absolutely, I'll give you everything I got plus everything I don't have. Right? But to somebody, that's priceless. So then you're worth what God paid for you, and since God paid with himself for you, you're worth what God is worth to himself. Or in other words, you're as valuable now to God as Jesus is. Look at two people and say, wow. See, some of you don't believe it because your value is based on your behavior, but your value is not based on your behavior to God. That's your value to yourself. Hallelujah. You see, loving counters are the biggest and most important. And to have one, you've got to break. Brokenness is the secret of love flowing through your heart. When you get angry and offended at somebody, go to the feet of Jesus and weep there till you break and get rid of the hatred, the unforgiveness, and the offense and do it over and over throughout your whole life and the love of God will start being the number one authority of your behavior. When they try to steal from you, write them a check. When they gossip about you, say something good about them. When they curse you, bless them. When they persecute your children, have your children take them a gift. Instead of telling them, never talk to them again as long as you live. Have nothing to do with them. And as little children, you're already teaching them how to get divorced. You're not protecting your children. You're just making them weak. Exclusion is not the secret of overcoming. Resilience is the secret of overcoming. If you overprotect your children, you set them up for disaster. I don't know what that was. Think about what I'm saying. Resilience. So love then is what's going to fill these chairs. Love is what will make people come back. Love is what will make you talk to someone. Love compels compassion. And if you don't have love, you're not going to talk to anybody because you actually don't 
love people. You just love the idea of love. And you believe in the idea of love. But you actually don't have love where it's functional and making you heal people, deliver people, witness to people, and care about their eternal souls. Hallelujah. And until the church becomes militant love-wise, there'll never be permanent revival or deliverance in anyone's family or in anyone's home. Play my music while we wait. Think about that, everybody. As we're here on a Sunday night, standing or sitting in a church, wanting encounters with God. And not only that, we need them. We need. How many of you tonight are ready to have an encounter with God? Do you know that the only way to have an encounter with God is to be honest? To actually be honest with yourself and to be honest with God. There's no other way to have an encounter with God. And because I know that your life cannot get better unless you're honest, because if you conceal it, then you keep it. And if you reveal it, then God heals it. It is the most simple principle of ministry. That whatever you confess, God forgives and delivers you from. You have to decide if this is your night to move higher and farther than you ever have with the Lord. Some of you, for example, need to just decide you're going to start reading the Bible again every day. You have to decide that you're going to start writing down what God tells you that you know he spoke to you and you're going to memorize it. Some of you need to repent tonight for watching pornography because pornography has gotten so rampant in church that over 72% of Christian men are now addicted to pornography and 48% of women. Five out of 10 women. Because of your TV, now elderly people are addicted to pornography. I did a deliverance conference and had women that were between 60 and 80 years old coming up because they had gotten addicted to pornography when they got a TV with all the different channels and they did not know how to work it or stop it and it all just started popping up. And Satan got a hold of them. If you do not repent, let me be honest with you, you could miss your destiny as a human being. God's actual plan for your life, you could miss it. If you protect it, if you hide from it, if you're ashamed, if you just don't, you could miss it. 
We cannot have a move of God where the people of God, as I said in the first encounter, don't say enough is enough. I need to get free. Hallelujah. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a deliverance walk because of how many people there are and because it's not my goal to expose anyone. My goal is for you to get delivered. And what you are going to get delivered from is between you and God. And you've just got to decide, this is my night to get delivered. Praise the Lord. So I want you to close your eyes and say this prayer. Dear God in heaven, give me the strength to repent. Give me the strength to get delivered. Give me the strength, God, to get set free. Give me the strength so that I can do what you call me to do. Praise God. Your eyes are closed. And when I begin to call out things and you're ready to get delivered, I want you to stand up and walk around the church and take a deliverance walk. And while you're walking, I want you to be repenting. Repent before God. Because I don't have the time to individually pray for you. So we have to do it this way. If you're here and you say, I'm ready to repent. As I start mentioning things. And if, if I mention different things at different times, just keep walking. Don't stop. Don't leave here tonight without fully repenting. That's the goal. When you leave here tonight, leave clean. Leave free. The first thing you're going to repent of, and as soon as I mention it, you need to stand up and start walking, is if you feel hatred in your heart towards someone. I need you to get up and start walking and let the Lord begin to deliver you. If tonight you are in a place where you say, I don't believe God is listening to me, and you feel like there's unbelief in your life, I need you to get up and start walking around and repent for unbelief and let God prove himself to you. Let God prove himself to you. If you're here tonight and you say, Lord, I need to change the way I eat. You need to get up and walk around and repent for that and say, God, I need to eat things that are not going to kill me. I need to eat food that is going to heal me. You are walking. You don't have to be in a hurry. You just have to talk to God. Those of you that are here and you're saying in your heart, I need to repent for not reading the Bible. I've stopped reading the Bible every day on a regular basis 
and searching for God's voice to speak to me. Don't just walk. Repent as you walk. Talk to God. And if you need to kneel down here or lay flat or anything like that, whatever you need to do, you do it and turn that up a bit. Because we're just having a time of repentance and a time of deliverance. If you're here and you say, God, I I never share Jesus with lost people. And I need to repent for that because it is one of the main reasons that I am alive on this earth is to get people out of hell. And here comes one of the most important things that you need to repent for, and that is complaining. Complaining is a curse that you put on yourself by stopping the presence of the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit. Instead of complaining, you need to praise God and have a grateful attitude for all the wonderful blessings that God has bestowed on you. You're just walking around repenting. Those of you that are walking that need to repent for sexual sins, do that as you're walking around. For pornography, for any immorality of any kind, just let it leave your life. Those of you that are telling God right now, Lord, I repent because I have stopped praying and fasting. And I need to start praying and I need to start fasting because it is the call of God on my life. For the rest of you, whatever it is you need to repent of, go ahead and do that right now, whatever it may be. And let the cleansing stream of Almighty God and let the blood of Almighty God wash you and cleanse you and purify you by the beautiful presence of the Lord that is in this house. We cleanse the house with the fire of holiness. We cleanse the sanctuary with the fire of holiness. Lord, you see your people. You see them walking. You know who they are. You know what's in their life. You know what they're going through. And I ask you, God, to just speak a word to each one of them right now. Speak a word. Say something to them that will set them free. Speak a word into their heart and into their mind and into their spirit by the power of the holy name of Jesus. Let this be a deliverance night. 
Let this be a night of great breakthrough, a night of amazing healing. There are several of you beginning to be healed right now in your lower back. Get up and walk. Put your hands on your back. Let this be the night that you never will forget. That God not only will heal your back, but then he will give you a recipe for strengthening your body. A recipe to make the weak areas strong. Someone has a blood disorder in their body. You need to get up right now and let God heal your blood by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm seeing that there are several of you that have nightmares and you have a very difficult time sleeping. You need to get up right now and walk and let Jesus Christ heal your sleep and deliver you of your nightmares. While you're walking, I break the spirit of witchcraft over you, the spirit of the occult through movies and books of the past. I break the occult off of you, and I also break word curses that have been spoken over you. There is also someone that has borrowed money from your parents and you have never paid them back and that put a, a hold on your prosperity and you are going to have to pay your parents back and if your parents have passed on, you need to pay that money to a spiritual parent, to parents that are spiritual parents to you because you have to release yourself of what you did by taking money from your parents when it's actually your job to give them money. Come down, Holy Spirit. Come down, Holy Spirit. Come down, Holy Spirit. Someone has had a spot, a spot was found when you went and got a mammogram. A spot was found, and you're very concerned about that. And we are praying for the healing of that to happen. And it will not be cancer. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I just declare over all the women that you will not get breast cancer. No woman in this building in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are several men that are dealing with issues with their prostate right now. You're having a very difficult time urinating, and God is going to heal that as it is very dangerous. And within seven days of today, you are going to have a clear answer on what to do by the power of Jesus Christ. There is someone here that had two miscarriages. The Lord says your children are waiting for you in heaven. 
your children are waiting for you in heaven. You will see them and you will know them the second you see them. They may not even be grown. There's two or three people that have been through two divorces. You've been through two of them. And the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you that you will never have to face that again. You need to get out of your seat and walk around and let God break that off you for the rest of your life. You need to do it publicly in front of God, the angels, and everybody else because you do not want to pass that on to your children. That curse needs to be broken today. Today. By the power of Jesus' name, there are some people here who have children or your immediate siblings have children who have asthma. Lay hands on those children when you see them and believe God for those children to be healed and delivered by the power of Jesus' name. Thank you, God. I'm hearing that there are several of you that do not have a job, and God is going to give you a job, and it'll be a job you don't deserve, pay that you should not be earning, but it will be God's gift to you for believing in the goodness of Almighty God. You're going to say, I don't know how I got this job. I don't know how I'm pay getting paid this. I'm not qualified because God will qualify you with favor and with mercy. Also, I'm hearing the Lord tell me this that there are many of you that are going to repent tonight for not coming to church on a regular basis and then you're going to start showing up at church because church is the garden that God plants you in to grow you into the particular tree that you're going to be in the world. Thank you, Lord. Come on, everybody. Just lift your hands and thank him. Praise him a little bit and say, thank you, Jesus, for your mighty deliverance to the people of God. Thank you, Lord, for being good to us. Let us cry out unto the Lord. Lift your voice up to God and say, enough is enough. And I don't want my life to ever go backwards. I want it to go forwards. From this day forward, I want to serve the Lord with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my strength. Hallelujah. Praise God. Go ahead and hug somebody tonight and tell them it's going to be a beautiful rest of the year, the month of November, the month of December, and this is the last word I'll speak over you. I say this every year. I'm going to say it again, that God's blessing of prosperity will show up so that on December the 31st, you will still have money in the bank. 
Everybody say, I receive that in the name of Jesus. You're not going to be broke going into 2024. Let that be your most prosperous year coming up. Hallelujah. We trust in the Lord and we believe in him. My last thing that I want to do tonight is thank everybody who has filled out these cards to help us with our orphans and all of you that have given anything in the offering. You can keep that going because that's for me. And thank you for that. If you don't have these cards, we have lots of them. We have cards for our Africa children as well and also our Guatemala children. And you can take a picture of that. It's also on the table. And you can do it directly off the app without even having to fill that out. But you do want that because you want to get the picture so that you can have that prayer child. Look, ladies and gentlemen, don't be guilty of not taking care of orphans, whether you do it with us or with somebody else. Christians should take care of orphans and widows, and they should take care of the poor. That's our job. That's what true Christians do. Don't be that one that is so greedy that you cannot spare 5 or 10 20 or $30 to help a child get fed, get educated, and get raised. Praise the Lord. It's a good thing, and my family and I are doing a good thing, and God is blessing us and will keep blessing us. I hope you'll become part of our team and our family of rescuers because there are now children who are fully educated now. We have 40-something right now in university, but many have already gone through it, and they have full educations with jobs. Think about this. They have gone from the dump to being lawyers, architects, engineers, and they came from the dump. And I was able to do that with my family and all the people we have able to do that because of consistent supporters for all those years like some of you are like Hannah and her family always supported whatever it is they've done always supported we have we have children that started when they were 8 years old and are now fully grown and all they did was they started with $5 cutting yards then 20 then 30 then they got businesses now they they'll send a thousand 2000 God is good. Hallelujah. So they'll take a love offering for the orphanage. We want to thank everybody for that. In Jesus' name, may I send this blessing to you as, as our time has gone by. Let me, let me say these words to you tonight. May every curse of poverty be broken off you. May you not see one day of poverty in 2024. May it be the year that the most people in your family get saved. May it be the year where all your children come back to serve God. May it be the year when you have the best health you've ever had. And may it be the year when you have the most peace that you have ever had. 
And may it be the year where you act as if you are not afraid of anything in 2024. Hallelujah. This has been a message from Destiny Church in Springfield, Illinois. To learn more about Pastor Ivan Tate's ministry, visit the episode description where you can find links to his website, ways to support orphans and widows, and more about what matters, ministries, and missions. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.